Welcome to the Frankly Who Cares podcast. Hello, we're back with another edition of the Frankly Who Cares podcast, the podcast that has a selective memory. Uh, with the unofficial fifth major, the Players' Championship, taking place right now, we talk golf, we delve into our listener mailbag for the first time, and who will be on the podium when we run through our greatest team rivalries. Stay tuned. Hi everyone, uh, it's Alex here, as usual, joined by Tom. How's it going, Tom? Yeah, very good, thank you. I, I feel like this week, lockdown sports got quite a bit better in terms of quality and action. Uh, so, yeah, I feel a bit more positive about life, having some better sports to watch. How about you? I felt exactly the same. There were some really good uh, good things. I'm sure we'll get into a couple of those in a bit. Um, yeah, in fact, some things that, that deserved a crowd to be there, I felt. But uh, we'll get onto that a bit later. It, it wouldn't be, frankly, who cares, without a retraction of something we said last time. It's it, it's actually, we, we got quite a bit better. There wasn't too much that, that was glaringly wrong last time. But I did mention um, in passing that I'd watched the Chelsea Man United Champions League final. And I'd it was after cricket training and we trained until it got dark. Uh, that's definitely a lie. Um, we got relegated with about five games to go that season. It was 2008, one of the worst seasons ever. Uh, we got relegated because we didn't do enough fielding practice, which because we were leaving to watch sport too early. So, so consider that massively retracted. Um, I revisited after our musical sort of discussions, a couple of revisits. So I actually watched back the Prince halftime Super Bowl show. Okay, yeah, it's, it is amazing. It is amazing. Right. I mean, it's uh, so it's absolutely hooning it down. Uh, it was apparently the first halftime show ever where it rained. Um, really? Yeah, but he finishes with Purple Rain, so it just makes it kind of suitable. Oh, uh, but he does it in like three inch heels, so there's quite a real danger that someone's going to come massively a cropper. Um, <laughs> it's 12 minutes, and he does a mashup of songs, but he does some of his favourite so- fav- famous songs, sorry, but also songs of like the era so he does like best of you by the foo fighters and it it just sounds like it's going to be dreadful but it's amazing and in 12 minutes he uses three different guitars which is completely unnecessary um yeah just it's just epic there's a marching band playing and they're a bit all over the place but it's just it's amazing it is amazing i'm gonna have to watch that and and uh, for the record there, there is nothing um, unnecessary about anything that happens in the Super Bowl half time show. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, yeah. It was turned up to 11, should we say. Um, and the fact that it's only 12 minutes is definitely worth worth watching. Um, mm. uh, yeah, it got a lot of complaints because there's a bit where uh, it sort of suggests that his guitar is a, is somewhat phallic. Um, oh, right. That's, that's standard Prince Fair. Yeah, but also like you think the kind of middle America who watch NFL would have been a bit much for them, wouldn't it? I think and that, that's I, fair. I actually read that while I was looking, while I was watching it. I sort of looked it up on Wikipedia, and I was like, oh, I haven't seen what bit that. Could... Oh, oh, yeah, okay, certainly, me. yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so definitely, definitely worth a watch. Um, and then the other one was was which people should look up, which I sent you was the um, the. Flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers doing the Star Spangled Banner uh, on remarkable. the base before, and not just any game. I don't know if you picked this up, but it's before Kobe's last ever game. 
so it was no, a massive, massive that. deal. And he did the, the the national anthem, and it's just, I mean, indescribable. I would say. Yeah. Definitely yes. Worth it has a, to be worth a Google to experience. Yeah, yeah, it is indescribable. So, uh, so we'll, we'll we'll leave that uh, for our listeners to look up. Um, I think so. so. As you mentioned, we've got a mailbag, so you can get in touch uh, via email at franklywhocarespod at gmail.com. Um, and we've had a few suggestions in. Uh, should we start with uh, the who's famous discussion? Matter yeah, arising? I think we should, actually. Um, because obviously, you know, was it in our first or second uh, uh, show where we talked about, we were talking about who's, who's the most famous? Yeah, it was certainly over a couple, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so a few, few names were, were thrown out there. Uh, I suggested it could be Serena Williams. Uh, we went off and did some scientific research. You came back and said, mm, no, nah, it's not her. Uh, <laughs> I have thoroughly investigated this and it's not her. Well, uh, there's been some progress this week. We've had, we have had uh, an email and I've got some more, some more evidence uh, in my favour as well, which I'll get to in a minute. Uh, but, uh, but Essie has been in touch uh, and says that, that she's loving the podcast, loves our banter and chemistry. That's good. That's the main reason we're reading this. Always episode. start with a compliment um, as well. Much more likely to get it right out. Yeah. Yep. Um, the sports podcast I never knew I needed. There we go. Um, so, uh, so she says she's amazed and amused that there is even a debate about it being Serena Williams. Okay. Uh, a few reasons why she thinks it's her. Uh, so she has fans all over the world, especially in black and brown countries, including South America. Uh, when she's playing black Twitter, she says, yes, there is such a thing, is always buzzing with people who don't usually watch tennis. That, that for me, is a key thing with uh, actually have the yeah, uh, yeah. people in who don't agree with that. Watch tennis. Um, she's talked about starting a WTA tour in Kenya, and this is a popular idea in Africa. I, I'm not aware of this, but it's been emailed to us, so it's obviously a fact. Um <laughs> She has inspired black people to play tennis, which was formerly almost exclusively a white middle class sport. I think that's fair, along with Venus, her sister, obviously. Um, uh, the point, yeah, a point here about that, um, although lots of white people may not know her, uh, when black people excel at sports, they usually become popular among um, that audience globally. That's very true. We've seen that with, um, uh, well, golf with Tiger Williams, Tiger Williams with Tiger Woods. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously uh, Formula One, um, absolutely, with, with uh, Lewis Hamilton um, and a few other bits here. Um, in 2018, more people in the UK watched Serena in the women's Wimbledon final than the men's final. How interesting. Um, she also, uh, as he says here, that she works with kids and they tend not to know anyone famous over the age of 20. But when she mentions Serena and her sister, um, uh, uh, black and brown children tend to know who she is. And a few other things. More importantly, she's one of Beyonce's best friends and has even appeared in her videos. I noticed the other day, actually, this is from me, not from Essie, that when after that Meghan Markle um, interview, mm. uh, Meghan Markle and, uh, and um, uh, Prince Harry interview, uh, the news on Sky News that night, there was the, uh, the first report was celebrities around the world have been off, uh, offering statements, including Serena Williams. And Hillary Clinton, that's what the newsreader said in that order, um, which made me think, ding, we need to come back to this. <laughs> so, um, so is that, and just as another, uh, as I said, some more more evidence 
I spoke to a couple of old uh, work, workmates of mine uh, this week on Zoom, uh, Jenny and Karen, and uh, they I asked this question to them. They paused for a minute and they both said Serena Williams immediately. So I think completely without prompting, what, without what, prompting. So the well, and what I said, the who, who is it? Was who's the most famous sports person in the world? They thought about it, and I said, for yeah, who who would you? What, what's the first name that comes to mind when I say that? And that was what they said. Well, there you Oops. go. Um, I will thank Keita Essie for her very thorough email, <laughs> uh, which arrived at ten past seven in the morning. So we're, That's we, we are making people think when they wake up because we've had a couple of emails in at quite quite interesting times. Um, I mean, I it's all very well researched and. Um, but I don't necessarily agree that uh, any of that makes Serena Williams the most famous sports person in the world. I think she might be the most famous sports woman in the world. Uh, and certainly when it comes to to particular, you know, measures that, that people would use, I would say that that's the case. Um, and I think uh, some of the, the sort of the second time we touched on it and the, a lot of the... American female footballers do get involved in a lot more kind of political, wider things, which I don't think you get necessarily from male sportsmen. True. Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of them sort of stick to what they know. A lot of them are pretty stupid as well, so probably are told by their agents to to stick. You know, you Stay can't imagine Lionel Messi coming out about Harry and Meghan. So, <laughs> or any of the multiple social issues in Argentina, like. So, um, but yeah, I still, I think I I would take from that that her profile is perhaps quite a bit higher than uh, I maybe gave her credit for. Uh, but I still don't think that makes her the most famous sports person in the world. But there is a completely subjective thing. So well, yeah. never, never ever going <laughs> to prove this. But um, and I think most a lot of the justifications. Uh, were in that email could also be applied to others. You mentioned Tiger Woods, Lewis Hamilton, Usain Bolt, people like that. You know, Usain Bolt wasn't just supported by Jamaicans; he'd have been supported yeah. by you know people the world over. So, um, yeah, interesting, very interesting. Mm. Um, and I think that it was another thing we touched on when we talked about it last time. Was you're so in this age of watching things on platforms that know what you watch and social media that track what you look at all the time that you your view can be massively skewed by the people that you talk to and the people that you follow absolutely and actually it's quite easy to get kind of wrapped up in that bubble without knowing just how famous and influential some of these people are but yeah, yeah. definitely a trailblazer for um for tennis and for women's sport I wouldn't wouldn't dispute that so yeah cool so mm-hmm. but I I'm sure this will continue I mean Karen and Jenny who I work briefly work with as well uh, I I just don't believe you <laughs> I think it's a leading question so but you know that that goes to show that that's how surprised I am by their genuine answers so so they write I'm, they are definitely I'm going to get them to write in 
Fine. <laughs> I was thrilled when, when I heard that. And it's absolutely true. Uh, honest. We've had a couple of responses on the ideal sporting day of, of watching that we that we talked about and, and, and asked for people to, to put stuff in. Um, so uh, thanks to, to Dings, who um, has sent in his ideal sporting day. Um, I mean, one thing Essie said was that a lot of our stories do revolve around um, watching sport and alcohol. Um, Dings has taken it to another level. <laughs> by, so... Um, so Dings is a gooner, but has suggested that um, basically the North London derby would just be too stressful. And I think that's something we, we, we'd we sort of touched upon and agreed. Actually, some of the best days are watching sports you're not as attached to. Uh, so, yeah, uh, start at Hawksmoor at eight o'clock for a steak breakfast and unnecessarily early drinks. Uh, then to the test match for... Um, Beers, homemade G&T smuggled into the ground, batting masterclass from Ben Stokes, butler teeing off for 20 overs, um, and then uh, leave, so think that, oh that's Lords, sorry, and then get on the okay. tube to the Oval for a T20 in the evening. <laughs> How are you still standing at this point, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Probably not. Uh, to watch uh, Kumar Sangakara get 100 for Surrey. Uh, and then into Mother Kelly's, which is a sort of craft ale bar under the arches at uh, Vauxhall. Uh, oh, yeah. For some £6 mango passion fruit pale ales or a 9% vanilla stout. So good levels specific. of specificity around food and drink, which is exactly what I was after. So yeah. um, that is, uh, and reasonably realistic as well. Not, 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 you know, the, the utter realms of. Of fantasy, such as you know, having That's a fun true. day at the Emirates or something like that. So, um, mm. yeah, I think we've um, so that that's a good good starting point. I think you've you've got one as well. I have, I have, and I, I did notice that dig. Um, <laughs> the uh, so this this one is from from Alan, and uh, so so one of his is more along the lines of sort of being invested in it. Um, so briefly mentions. Um, he's a Man United fan, mentions uh, something like Manchester United against Real Madrid, European Cup final, going one up, uh, two one down, then equalising with some kind of Bobby Charlton stroke Paul Scholes howitzer before winning it with an injury time diving header. I do like that. Yeah. Uh, I like the use of the word howitzer. That's so uh, do I. one I'd forgotten about. But I mean, Essie yeah. Diaspora in her email, which you didn't when you read it out, which I thought was an excellent... So if even if people yeah. use some good vocab in their um, in their emails that I can put in my work emails, that would be that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, added bonus, more chance of getting read out. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but his, but Alan says um, the ultimate fantasy would be the Olympics somewhere in uh, the states where he's never been before, New Orleans, perhaps. Imagine an Olympics in New oh, Orleans. Wow, sounds amazing, doesn't it? Um, out there with all his mates, having had some days getting into the local scene, music, food and hospitality, uh, before getting to the Olympic Stadium for a day of athletics with 100 metres final as the highlights. Seats level with the finishing line, this is great. Um, a pro <laughs> gets better. A promising Brit has been setting PBs and qualifying and is now tipped for a potential medal, but the Yanks are probably going to get a 1-2-3. 
the gun goes, eight runners go under 9.9 seconds. And the Brit wins in a world record time. We've just witnessed the fastest anyone has ever run right before our eyes. Uh, he says, no, yeah, uh, apart from the times he's seen me have to run <laughs> to the toilet, but that's unofficial timing. Yeah, yeah thanks for that. Um, so, yeah, not bad. I, I really like that's, um, that's like really optimistic. Like there's nothing about, mm. apart from maybe the Americans, there's nothing about really sticking it to to your like hated rivals. So it's mm. like a very, very optimistic kind of American dream type scenario, which which yes. is, is nice. I, I think mm. I, I think some of them will will factor in, um, you know, playing really badly and sticking one over our rivals coming from behind. Um, it's you yeah, know, that's a that is a, a common theme. So. So I think um, you and I should should work up ours, and we can revisit this in in future episodes. But yeah, if, if everyone yeah. else wants to contribute theirs, uh, it's frankly who cares pod at gmail dot com. Right, let's move on to the news. What have you been uh, looking at this week, Tom? So we we touched upon um, the Champions League last time. Um, I watched. Porto Juve this week, which is the best game of football I have seen since COVID started. I think pretty much. I would agree with that. I watched it too. Um, it reminded me of. So, do you remember at the start of lockdown, you and I met a couple of times on Zoom to watch famous sporting events, but we actually only did it about two or three times and, and yes, stopped doing it. Um, but the first game we watched was at Germany Italy in the 2006 World Cup. Oh yes. And it was an absolute defensive masterclass from Cannavaro, and Italy mm-hmm. won at the end of extra time 2 0. The game reminded me of that because arch bastard, evil man Pepe, who is a, must be about 40, was absolutely unbelievable in this game. And yeah. what I really liked was it was like him versus Ronaldo, you know, both Portuguese, both bastards, and, you know, really. And you know, sports nothing without the narrative. And he was just—he's such such Immaculate. a horror, horrible player. But he was unbelievable, and mm. and it was just really nice to see because I'd criticised the Champions League at the last episode because you pretty much know who the last eight are going to be. So it's really good for someone to get knocked out. And the really nice touch was um, that Porto's critical goal was went straight through the wall because Ronaldo didn't really put any effort into blocking it and if he just stood still it would have hit him and not gone in and they'd have won pretty much it was a shockingly bad wall yeah it? yeah so um yeah it was I, and it was really enjoyable so it was a great game absolutely brilliant game I'm so pleased that i watched it because i haven't watched that many champions league games this season um and just the way it went the portal goes down to 10 men and you think right okay well this is over but as you say brilliant def- uh, defense uh pepe amazing now do you remember when portugal won the the euros 2016 was that yeah, yeah. um where he decided not to be a, com- a complete idiot and just play football and he yeah. was one of the players of the tournament then it was it was that sort of level wasn't it just absolutely yeah. outstanding outstanding from him and a brilliant team performance where you just felt you actually felt the longer this goes on they just need that one goal and then they get it quite late. Portugal, uh, Portugal, uh, Juve strike back not long yeah. afterwards just to, for a bit of extra drama. It was just, it was superb. It was the game. So I mentioned earlier about a game that deserved a crowd that, 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 uh, imagine that with, with a crowd in, in there as well. 
but also it was the game that made Robbie Savage as a co-commentator make sense. Um, <laughs> he, he, was, he was sort of just there, sort of giddy with excitement. Like, yeah, really yeah. Watching it. And that was really, that was exactly what was needed, I thought. So, um, yeah, just a, a, a brilliant uh, game and uh, evening to watch. Football, yeah. it, it felt a bit like you were watching it next to Robbie Savage and the commentator, I think it was Darren Fletcher. Like, um, yes. They were just enjoying it and watching it and rather than being really professional. And it just mm. felt like it was something different to the endless football that's on offer. And it yes. is wall-to-wall football at the moment. You can watch every day. And then the following night, I watched PSG Barcelona. So I've got a very good French friend who lives in London, Seb, mm. who is a big PSG fan. Um, and PSG, I turned on a little bit late and PSG won it up. And I hadn't realised it was the most ridiculously tenuous penalty of all time. But I just messaged him and said, there's only one team who can lose this from you, from here. The bad news is it's you guys. And then on cue, Messi, howitzer. That was definitely a howitzer. Oh, I saw that. Oh, brilliant goal. And then penalty almost immediately after. And I was like, oh my God, I've tempted fate too much here. But then he missed the penalty. And actually it was quite uneventful after that. It was a good game to watch. Um, But Mm. actually, because uh, basically the reason Messi scored that goal was that he kept passing to Dembele, who kept missing sitters. So he just thought, oh, I'll sod this, I'll do it myself. Um, but then, yeah, it made it quite easy to defend if if he's got to do it all on his own. So, yeah. But yeah, so mm. it's good, good to see a bit of variety. I mean, PSG Barcelona, it's not really upset for either of them to get knocked out, but hopefully there will be yeah. a few more unusual teams through. I think that makes it a bit more, a bit more interesting. Yeah. And um, so following on from that, uh, something that I've noticed this week, and just just for me, just seemed a bit strange. Just want to get your thoughts on this. So you talked about like football being on all the time, but it was the Women's Champions League round of sixteen um, over the past week. Did you know that was happening? Um, not in advance. I saw the score updates, but they were like two thirty kickoffs. That's my point, right? So it was in during the day yeah. when you know traditionally speaking, most people are at work. There's a reason yeah. why games tend to be put on at the in evening. In the evening, um, it's the women's Champions League. Why is it being played during the day when people probably can't watch it? And I was thinking, is it just me or is this just completely bizarre? I mean, it's 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 Women's History Month. It's the week of International <laughs> um, yeah. uh, Women's Day, it, and you've got it being tucked away so that no one can see it. I mean, I just I don't understand how that can possibly, you know, advance, you know, the cause of sort of equality in terms of, of the status of the women's game. I thought it was bizarre. Yeah. I mean, there's unfortunately a few examples of, of say, the, the women's Six Nations was cancelled, but the men's is carrying on. So it's like, well, is it doable or is it not doable? You know, the, mm. it, oh, the stacks up or it doesn't. Um, and then... Uh, but I think UEFA, they've sort of tried to maximise the Champions League profitability by spreading the, the knockout more, haven't they? So, like, yeah. before it would have been all the round of 16 games would be this week. And that's still only four at the same time. So it's not... Because you'd have four mm. on Tuesday, four on Wednesday. It's not loads. Um, but um, 
and then they could put the women's European Cup like on the other days, or they put, or do all the men's ones on the Tuesday and all the women's ones on the Thursday, something like that. But no, it just to to make them all kind of afternoon kickoffs just makes it feel like university sport, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. an afterthought. You know, second, second, second class sort of status. So, yeah, okay. I'm glad it wasn't just me that thought that was completely bizarre. Just yeah. another bit of weirdness from from uh, the European football governing body. Yeah, I, I've got um, one thing that did provide a little bit of a counterpoint um, as I uh, from the really good football. I watched one of the worst games of cricket I've ever seen. Um, so. Uh, this is a Sri Lanka West Indies 2020, so it's an international game. Uh, mm. Did you see any of this? No, this I don't is know. What just happened. over a week ago now. So, so a pretty iffy looking wicket. Sri Lanka got about 100, 120, maybe 130, like way under par for a T20. So, the West Indies are a kind of a, at the moment, their T20, a lot of their like T20 stars are back in the team. So, Chris Gale played, Dwayne Bravo played. Um, and you're just thinking they're going to absolutely murder this and they've got a few youngsters in their team as well who are you know guns at T20 so uh, Schlanker start off um, and West Indies go out out of the blocks they're flying like they're going to do this in seven or eight overs just smashing sixes all over the place so and then a spinner gets a guy out who's smashed it so they've got like 30 off about an over and a half Chris Gale comes in at three you know, the best T20 bat in the world, possibly, or maybe yeah. maybe was at one time. Out first ball. Next batsman, poor Anne, who's in all of the format teams, the West Indies. Out first ball, hat-trick. Wow. They're wobbling. So, um, Kieran Pollard, another T20 kind of mercenary, just plays T20 around the world, comes in. So this spinner who's taken a hat-trick and has gone absolutely mental. Bowls to Pollard. The next over, Pollard hits every ball in the over for six. Okay. It's, it's only the fourth time it's been done in international cricket, I think. Um, and then the next ball, the, the, the spinner doesn't even get taken off. He comes on to bowl his final over. First ball of his final over goes for six as well. So he's been hit for seven in a row. Then um, he finishes off his over. A little bit later, Pollard's out. And he only got about something like 40. So it was six sixes and out, basically. The next batsman's out first ball as well. So they're like, they've got so many balls to use up and they are absolutely rocking. What it needs is basically Dwayne Bravo, who was never known for his sort of common sense, um, comes in and gets four off about 30 balls, just knocking it around to take them home. And it's just like, it's watching... It looked like you were watching loads of gifted sportsmen from other sports try and play cricket. And it just... <laughs> suddenly someone came in and it's like, no, this is how we play. We just knock it around. If we bat the overs, we're going to win. And um, and then when they needed like one to win and just simple, just knock it for a single, Jason Holder hits a massive six to finish it. And you're just like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so... You started this off by saying one of the worst games of cricket you've seen, yes? Worst standard. I'd say. But it had a hat trick and someone hitting six sixes in yeah. an over. It was which is unusual. Yeah, I, it it was very watchable. Like <laughs> you know, the, the the greatest football matches might not you know might not be the highest standard, but yeah. So true. It was, it's worth wow. um, 
having a look of that on YouTube as well. The, I think. the highlights. Yeah. Sounds like it. So one final uh, thing from me uh, then in the news is that uh, marvellous Marvin Hagler, former undisputed middleweight champion, um, has has died. Um, I know you're not that into boxing. Are you aware of much of Hagler? I I am aware of his work. I've heard of him. Yeah, that's probably... yeah. So he um, he was one of what you know widely recognised one of the greatest boxers of all time. Uh, there was a point during the eighties where I think. Um, he would have been classed as the best pound-for-pound pound boxer for quite a few years. Um, undisputed champ for seven, about seven years um, in an era where they weren't dodging anybody. Uh, he took part in one of the greatest fights of, of all time against Tommy, the hitman, Hearns. Um, and I would, I'd forgive anybody who at this point wants to just pause this podcast, go to YouTube and look up. Hearns v Hagler and watch uh, 10 minutes is all it will take you. <laughs> um, you you're forgiven for doing that and you won't have wasted your time is all I can say um, so he, he uh, Hagler is one of um, is a boxer who his name is inextricably linked with three other boxers um, I've already mentioned Hearns also Roberto Hands of Stone Duran and um, one of my all-time favourites, um, Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, their, their stories and the fights that they had with each other uh, defined their careers. Uh, there's a brilliant book called uh, Four Kings, if anyone wants to check it out, which tells that story. Um, so Marvin Hagler, yeah, true legend. He's He will definitely pop up on this podcast again, so I'll leave it there. Uh, but yes, marvellous, marvellous Marvin Hagler, who died this week, aged just 66. Um, I have one more. Sorry, I, I did mention 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 this on the back of the cricket. Um, I was fortunate enough uh, twelve years ago to play uh, in a Surrey Championship match where one of the opposition had a former Test player in there, um, uh, Joey Benjamin, who passed away this week uh, at the age of sixty. He is a Surrey stalwart. He played one Test match for England. Um, he's everyone like raves about what a nice bloke he was. He, but he was a bit unfortunate to play for England in the 90s where they their sort of standard approach was pick someone drop them after one match and he played the famous test at the Oval where Devon Malcolm took nine for nothing against South Africans so yes. um, but he got four wickets in the first innings he didn't get any in the second innings obviously because there weren't any left for anyone else <laughs> um, but uh, yeah and then he went on he played for Surrey for ages um, he was long-time coach at uh, Rygate Grammar School um, and yeah he'll be missed so condolences to all concerned. Okay so next up over to you Tom to talk about golf. Yeah so um, we're sort of at a bit of a time of the year where things are drawing to a close or, or things are just kicking off and and as we get sort of towards Easter for me it sort of feels like golf season's really starting uh the minor problem this year is we're not actually allowed to play golf at the moment but um the players championship is this weekend which is sort of known as the fifth major by americans chiefly who don't really see the problem with all the majors apart from the open being played in america so they think a fifth one should be um that's on at the moment so we're actually we're recording this on Sunday so it's uh, three rounds down and somewhat surprisingly it's being won at the moment by Lee Westwood who um, 
it's having a bit of a resurgence, which he sort of does every couple of years. Really, really consistent um, golfer, earns a lot of money uh, in the sort of later days of his career. But this would rank as one of his biggest wins. He's never won a major, and he's never won the players. Um, he's won some of the biggest ones in Europe, and he has won in America. So massive for him. He was actually seventy to one. Someone told me at the start of the week. Wow. So um, now the cynic in me said, "Well, the reason he's seventy to one is he's not going to win because it's Lee Westwood, and he always comes second or third. But he is still winning after three rounds. And and I watched a bit of it last night, and what I saw, he was playing pretty iffy. Um, but he managed to stick ahead so he's two ahead um and what i like about how it's shaping up is that lee westwood is like a really nice guy i mean it's not just that he's british but he's just you know just seems like he'd be a good guy to have a pint with he he's been really unlucky in majors he's been knocked into second by some of the, like the great major performances um and he's two shots ahead of bryson de chambeau do you know anything about brilliant him? name I, yeah, I know he's 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 sort of been on the rise for the last couple of years, hasn't he? Yeah, couple of majors. Uh, he yeah he won the U.S. Open at the right. last year. Um, I sort of struggled to keep track of it last year because they were all in slightly weird places for the mm. calendar. But he yeah he has won a major. Um, but he's also um, he's pretty unlikable. Like I don't think he's particularly popular. He's also he's got his sort of. Um, persona that he's like a, a scientist he's like a physics major or something and he so he's tried to reinvent loads of different things about his kit so they've had to change the rules a few times to stop him doing certain things mm-hmm. um but he's and the most recent thing he's done is he's just got in lockdown he got really really stacked but in a kind of defensive lineman actually just looks a bit yeah. fat kind of way but like he's right. definitely overweight now, but it means he can hit the ball miles um, in a way which just feels like they're kind of taking the fun out of it a little bit. But that's mm. exactly what he's like. He's just, will this get me 1% better? And I just feel like he's definitely a villain in this piece. So I just think everyone in the world, even Bryson's parents, will be cheering on Lee Westwood, surely. <laughs> um I had no idea about any of that. Um, I, I, yeah, I haven't um, yeah. followed golf as closely over the last year or, or two. I had no idea. I, I knew he was. I know the name, and it is a very memorable name. But I had yeah. no idea he was like this. Uh, you know, Bond villain. It's like a kind of almost a wrestling, like a heel. You know, he's like right. uh, the yeah. scientist. You know, he's just he's arrogant. He wears a flat cap. He, he's <laughs> he's reinvented. So he uses iron. So. Uh, you don't play golf, do you? So, like, all golf irons, the reason, part of the reason they go different distances is they're all slightly longer than each other. But he's had his made all the same length because he feels it will give him more consistency. Like, reinventing stuff like that. Um, okay. He's just a bit of a ball, <laughs> to be honest. Mm. And I just can't... I mean, golf's not the sort of thing where you talk about it a lot, I don't think, with, with kind of your mates about who you support because there's so many golfers. But I just mm. feel like there can't be that many massive Bryson Bryson fans um, but the worry is um, so the Masters is a few weeks away about three weeks off mm. it's that that does reward prodigious length off the tee and that he'll really compete compete well there yeah. um, and for me the Masters is like I used to 
often be watching it in the Easter holidays of like school or university or staying at a mate's and we'd stay up to watch it because it was on in the evening. Mm-hmm. It's the only major that's played at the same course every year. So like, you know, the holes yeah. um, and there's been a couple of absolutely like banging final days. Um, I remember, so 96 was when Greg Norman fell apart with Nick Faldo chasing yeah, down the straight. Um, and again, I think Greg Norman, everyone liked, and Nick Faldo, no one really liked. Um, mm-hmm. And then, for me, the the best was um, because it's such a difficult course. There's often people blow up down the straight, and recently the famous one was was McElroy, who was miles ahead. Yeah for basically the first three and a half rounds in the space of about three holes, lost the whole lead. But that day, there was like six or seven winners, potentially, from from the last hour. Uh, Tiger was in the mix. Luke Donald, who was really good, uh, really consistent at the time. Adam Scott, Jason Day, Australians. And it was won eventually by Charles Schwartzall. And that was just absolutely some of the best TV sport I've watched. I remember watching um, that. That was great. Yeah, so, that's interesting. You touched on 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 a few things, a couple of things there. Um, that I was just thinking. So, Bryson DeChambeau is he enough of a, of a? So I'm just thinking at the moment there aren't that many exciting, like real transcendent talents within the game. So obviously we've got Tiger Tiger Woods who's like yeah, yeah on a different level. But there's been a couple over the last few years, a couple that could have like been the next. So McElroy being one, and it didn't really happen. He's won four majors, I think. Um, do you remember Jordan Spieth coming along and winning like three majors in no time at all? And people thought, is yeah, he well, going to go? And... He had an explosion. He had the last explosion at the Masters. Yeah. <clears throat> that was but, more, yeah. yeah it, he's been off the boil really since. For ages, yeah. So then, but there's signs so is, that he is might Bryson... Oh, that's good. Is Bryson DeChambeau enough of a villain? that he can get people interested in in watching him do Poss- what he does and fail. Possibly. I, I think... Love to hate sort of thing. I just think golf will never really have enough of a... Like, it's just got too much of an ego to make it as appealing as it should be. Especially at the moment where... I don't know what it's like in America, but it felt like last summer there was more people playing golf than ever before because it was the first sport you were allowed to play out of lockdown. Um... Mm-hmm. But what in practice that meant was that it was it was actually unless you're a member of a course, which can be quite expensive, it was quite difficult to get on public courses. So it's actually just mm. as bad as it's ever been for inclusion right. and, and mass participation. So it feels like with Tiger, um, I mean, one of the biggest things that happened recently in the Masters, which was the one in 2019, I think, Tiger's held off the field to win it like amazing comeback story astounding kind of he made his name in the masters um and it but it just doesn't seem like they can really kind of get get on the back of that you know the massive no. nike i mean nike didn't make golf stuff they just got into it because of tiger yeah, yeah. and then they've stopped making the hardware now because it's not enough money in it for them so like mcelroy's a big nike athlete but um it just feels like it will return to the sort of fairly middling sport, I think. Yeah, um, it's incredible. I mean, I, I I watched the Tiger Woods doc over, over, over this weekend. I've watched it, and um, it's so there's there's nothing in there that that 
not a huge amount that you 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 don't know already but it did just bring back it's a it's good it's very good and it just brings back it's been like less than 25 years since he won that that first masters um and it just brings back um just how what a phenomenon he was um and and is but but particularly was when he was in, in his prime just what he could do but also that that global he took over from michael jordan as the biggest sports star in the world that that's a, you know there's no debate about no serena like debates about that one he just was um and glo- definitely globally and for, for golf that's that's unbelievable um but the story the story is incredible um and and having that redemption that thing at the in 2019 when he comes back and wins uh, wins the Masters is is incredible considering he'd been what he'd been through even in the couple of years leading up up to that. Um, but the one the one thing that does come through in that documentary really strongly is just the that obsessive um, focus on golf that was drilled into him from as a, when he was you know the young a really young age when he was old enough to like hold a club and there's this really interesting scene where they're interviewing his dad Earl and his mum sat um, next to next to him uh, and he's saying you know if he'd if if he'd wanted to you know to play to do bowling I would have supported that if he'd wanted to do other things and you just think hmm and how did he get a golf club in his hand at the age of three months old it didn't magically appear there and as he's saying that you see his mum sort of her face is sort of going hmm, 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 like uh, yeah I'm not sure that's actually true sort yeah. of thing and um there is no way that 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 hasn't just led to the, the the sort of he's just not a normal he's not a normal human being frankly and uh, i think that everything that he he all of that that drive that focus a lot of which was forced on him is what has led to that and that was quite sad really to watch yeah i, I haven't watched the documentary I, I think what's it in a way it was a bit of a perfect storm in that it was a time when you had you, you the Michael Jordan reference is, is interesting because you you've got the he was a global superstar who linked up with Nike and you know they're still selling millions of pounds of trainers you know with his name on um mm. and so he was then the next one so it's like you've probably got Nike looking for the next what's our next opportunity you've got a sport where the best sport the best exponents of golf in the world are not as fit as they could be they they don't push themselves to the level that they could be so the standard overall of golf has gone up which is subsequently applied to numbers of of sports where money has come in but i was looking i was doing my master's research and you look at the prize money and like faldo won it in 90 and 96 and between those two the the prize money had doubled but then it doubled again in like two years and then uh i think it doubled again and it's then been fairly flat and that massive spike in prize money pretty much coincides with tiger's career right i mean obviously there's an inflation adjustment to be made anyway but it's not coincident is it that no, suddenly, and the other thing, which Tiger, um, which I think is probably the most impressive thing, is that it's really hard to win golf tournaments. Like Lee Westwood is unbelievably consistent and doesn't win as many as he 
some people think he should and it sounds like I was saying that but um, people like so he's had a bit of a dip where he missed like Ryder Cups because he had a, a couple of years of not playing very well Sergio Garcia is the same Henrik Stenson completely lost it and refound it again it took him like three or four years it's a really difficult sport to be really consistent and Ra- McElroy gets grief because he hasn't won a major for 18 months or something or four years or something yeah. and it's like yeah but he's won he's won tournaments and and you know that it's pretty pretty hard and and it's all of these guys are now basically gym proper athletes who are going for it and it's still so much mental toughness required and really tiger was apart from when he was injured was always in contention and yeah. that's the thing i remember I can't remember what year it was. There's a Masters in the early 2000s where Tiger, just the presence of Tiger on the leaderboard meant everyone else fell away. And he won by miles. He mm. didn't play that well. It's just like no one fancied taking on Tiger down the stretch. Um, yeah. And and yeah, so so that's golf's biggest problem now is that Tiger's not going to play for well, at least a couple of years, you'd have thought. And it's just how do you make make the best of of what's there now I mean I think the UK it's all on Sky it's endless adverts because they can put adverts in every 10 seconds and because mm-hmm. and, you there's not a massive amount of action and it, I find it quite a difficult watch and I'm quite a keen golfer you know so yeah. um, I just think it's it's always destined to be in that sort of middle ground and which is a shame because as a partition, participation sport you can play it till you're 75, 80, and it's a way of keeping people really healthy. And it has been in lockdown as well. I think, you know, it feels like in the last couple of weeks where things are going the right way in terms of infections and vaccinations and things like that, it would have been massively beneficial for people's health and mental health to get them out playing golf. But yeah, yeah, there we go. That's another pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll save that for a different yeah, part. The, the special spin-off of how we'd have handled COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's time for gold, silver, bronze, Dean Macy. And uh, for this edition, I'm going to hand over to you, Tom, to explain what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, so we're going to try and find the top, or our top three sporting rivalries. So we've got... Um, we're going for team rivalries for this one, uh, so we'll mm-hmm. find our top three for gold, silver, bronze, and then the gallant fourth place named after Zine Macy, uh, which is normally one that's slightly left field. So, uh, so over to you to start off. Okay, so I'm going to ch- chuck in one of my absolute favourite team rivalries. Uh, well, the Ashes, in <laughs> Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> I so <laughs> that's no surprise to me either. So um, for me, per, so the thing running through all of mine today is there's a moment that really ignites the rivalry for me in all of these, a specific moment. Um, and uh, so, but the first Ashes I remember was '89 when um, Australia came over here and wiped the floor with us. Uh, that was the one where Steve War was like Dean Smith, like uh, couldn't get him out. Um, it was so horrible to watch. Um, Dean Smith? Yeah, I was going to say. Dean? Graham Smith? No, the, the uh, current Australian... Um... Oh, Steve Smith. Steve Smith? Who's Dean Smith? He's, He's a, a manager, isn't he? manager, isn't he? 
Okay, right, we don't need to correct this next time. <laughs> At least I picked it up. <laughs> Steve Smith. Uh, uh, yeah, so Steve Waugh uh, basically um, just completely dominated and they beat us. They retained the Ashes uh, till 2005 when one of my f- absolute favourite series happened. And we were talking earlier about some of those early lockdowns where we uh, occasions where we would go <laughs> watch sport on Zoom together and we did watch the first couple of tests, I think, from that from that series. Um yeah, one of my all-time favourite things uh, that's happened in sport was that 2005 series, and I loved the 2010-11 series as well, where we we beat them in Australia. So since 2005, it's been pretty much even keel. But just the what the thing that ignited it most for me was I travelled to Australia in 97-98. That was not a, uh, a, a an Ashes um, year, but I remember reading in newspapers more than one occasion, more than one occasion, the Australians with their extreme arrogance talking about is should we even continue with the ashes it's so one-sided now do we even need the ashes you know should we just you know there are other rivalries that are better than this one maybe we should turn those into and that yeah i was infuriated by that and that that really sort of just re-sparked my passion for it so um i yeah i definitely would submit this for a place on the podium yeah i think um i mean i've just written 2005 ashes because um you mentioned 2010 11 um mm. and we talked about this when we talked about staying up to watch sport in different time zones yes. but actually there were three crushing wins in that test series and normally you'd think you might complain that it wasn't as watchable because it was not a competition but actually there's i find with cricket there's just endless joy in crushing the australians that you you <laughs> yes. anyway um yeah. i think um the 2005 Ashes, well, there were four... So it's the draw at the Oval, and then they crushed us at Lords. But then three in between yes. were all so close, weren't they? Um, yeah. And it was just transfixing stuff. It was... I mean, in my mind, it was a glorious summer where the, the sun shone every day. Um, yeah. And then everyone was watching it because it was on Channel 4. Yeah. And it just felt like it, you know, to use the cliche, really captured the imagination. Um, yeah. You know, KP coming in and playing kind of aggressive cricket, which the Australians have been doing for a couple of years. But I remember at the start of that series, England had Graham Thorpe and they dropped him for KP. And you just thought, yes. Thorpe's been our best player against the Australians for about two or three series. But that just feels like a real risk. Um especially because Ian they picked Ian Bell as well and yeah just I mean on paper you just can't believe we won really um, yeah. and it was just a real team performance because no one in England's team kind of batted it across all the tests it was a real kind of team yeah game. that's very true um, it was amazing wasn't it I mean even right from the, so the first I, I, I just didn't remember the first day of the series at, at Lord's um, we skittle them, yeah. uh, uh, but then by the end of the day, we've lost se- seven wickets as well. Seventeen wickets on the opening yeah. day. Um, I remember being at work. Luckily, my boss was into it too. I, I think I mentioned with 2010-11 that yeah. I was only half there work-wise. <laughs> Luckily, with this with this <laughs> with this job, my boss was into it too, so uh, I, I managed to get away with it a bit. But um, yeah, just just every single test, even that first one, was it was had drama and excitement. 
and just just yeah. really just made you want to know what was going to be happening next. Well, I think the the big thing about that first date was that everyone had said we're worried that we can't take twenty wickets against the Australians. Like, mm. see whether this attack can, and it it was pretty much. I mean, that it'd been a fairly constant attack for a while, and they'd won in South Africa and they'd won in the West Indies, and um, but they just didn't didn't really have much of a feel for how it would go against Australia. To so to bowl them out on a pitch where I think they'd won the toss and batted, so um, and they hit Ponting in the face, and I think the Aussies were like, yeah. I mean, we're in a, we're in more, a scrap here, and so the 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 fact that that was such a boon almost kind of <laughs> erased the fact that. We were seventy for seven or whatever it was, um, yeah. And I think even that had been a bit of a fight back. I think um, mm-hmm. Jones and Flynn yeah, true, few, or Jones and someone. So yeah, I, I think, um, but yeah, it was an unbelievable, um, yeah, unbelievable. I feel, yes. I, think. I mean, in in I'm reality, and. Thinking back, I'm pretty sure my cricket team got relegated that season as well. So <laughs> we had a, um, but I remember we had an Australian overseas player, so that was quite quite good entertainment. Um, oh, that's good. But yeah, I'd um, I remember watching the Trent Bridge conclusion, which was a, we chasing quite a low amount but collapsed, and watching that in a sling because I uh, dislocated my shoulder playing cricket. And like wanting to punch the air, but not being able to, <laughs> just like wandering. <laughs> so yeah, it was um, yeah, very uh, oh, just unbelievable. And and the DVD, yeah, and the greatest sports DVD. Ever. Oh, it's so good. So. It is. It's up there with Living with Lions, isn't it? It's it's yeah. it's, it's it's brilliant. That, yeah, just just that that thing about it sort of taking over the the the, the whole nation getting into it. The famous Edgbaston test where it sort of comes down down to the like one run where they get the final wicket. Um, my dad hadn't been into cricket since the West Indies were in their pomp, and I remember him. Uh, I was with him watching it, and I just remember he had to he left the house. He had to go and go for a walk rather than watch it because he just couldn't handle it. He could not handle the fact that we're going to lose that test. Uh, comes back and obviously tell him what had happened. It's just it just took over it, and, and cricket has the ability to do that as we saw with the World Cup uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. When it when people get the opportunity to see it, it really does capture the it can capture the nation's attention. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned about the Tiger documentary. Um, the have you watched the Test, mm. the Australian documentary on Amazon? I know about it, and I've heard really good things. But I just, I've also heard it sort of makes you sort of like them a bit, and I'm not sure. I want yeah, to that that is true. Um, that is a disappointing element. So, um, but it is there was quite a lot of drama in that series, so it sort of lent itself to that. And and uh, in a mm. way, I almost preferred the bits when they were playing other people um but there's another south african produced documentary about the series with the sandpaper um where they got ah. for um ball yes. and it's um i mean it's basically the south african kind of schadenfreude because um, <laughs> in this series uh who's that they're really good fast bowler whose name escapes me at the moment um the south african bumped shoulders with steve smith uh got reported for it but didn't get banned and it was all a bit they basically didn't ban him because he was their best player um and um 
Steve Smith comes out with a really self-righteous press conference about how well we've we've got no problems with our behaviour and it like freezes on him and then they like go on to the next test and that's when they get done with tempering and it is so one-eyed it's absolutely brilliant <laughs> it's called <laughs> okay, like um, my list. head it's called touching the line or crossing the line it's a reference to Nathan Lyon saying we don't cross the line we might headbutt it it's like that it's all of their quotes basically rolled out and shown to them and it, it, oh, it, this sounds like my sort of thing in a test series which was quite it was a it was a really kind quite strong test series and there's a fight in the um in the stairwell in between oh. Quentin de Kock and David Warner. I mean it's always David Warner, isn't it? But Well yeah, um, you didn't need to say that, yeah. So uh David Warner's uh I should say allegedly his partner used to go out with a um a rugby union professional who has an impressive he's an impressive physical specimen and I think the South Africans were reminding him of of that should we say I see That's, yeah you, you probably get the idea um, okay and yeah it all just flared up and they were like fighting in the stairwell and that was before all the ball tampering and stuff so they hadn't built up a lot of goodwill before that so that's definitely worth a watch okay good thanks for that recommendation okay I feel like the Ashes is going on the podium not wanting to prejudge yeah. but <laughs> yeah so what have you got next uh, so I've got a football rivalry um, which there's a lot to pick from uh, in football uh, my friends who know my kind of affinity for travelling to this country will have seen this coming an absolute mile off as I'm sure you have uh, but for a rivalry to be so bitter that it the, the game gets switched firstly the day gets switched and then it ends up switching continents to be played uh, so River Plate Boca Juniors which is the one of the Buenos Aires derbies it's um, yes. so it's got two really good kits like timeless kits it's got mm-hmm. Like the background is like Boca from the kind of working kind of docks area, which is like touristy but really pretty rough. Um, and then River were originally in the same sort of area and then moved to a much more affluent kind of suburb. And their stadium is like really kind of nicely done, a really nice bowl kind of. Um, and then Boca's stadium looks like, you know, something I've knocked up. Um, just like a three-sided shack in this really rough area, and it's—I um, mean, I don't think they have—they've had away fans at, at games in Argentina anywhere for about three years now. But they played each other in the Copa Libertadores finals. Mm. That's the South American Champions League equivalent, which has its own theme music. You'll be pleased to know. Um, good. And it's good. It, I think it's—it's um, it's the same one they used for Euro '96. Ode to Joy. Do you know that one? Oh yeah, okay. yeah. So it's yeah, a bit unoriginal, but fine. Yeah, mm. uh, it's probably stolen for Euro '96. Uh, um, <laughs> and yeah, so they were due to play the second leg, I think, in um, at Rivers Ground, and it was level from the first leg. Uh, it the first, I think, it got rained off because the, there was a rain off like the first night, and then the second night, the the bus got attacked on the way to the ground. <laughs> And then there was a, a series of slightly odd decisions made, which is absolutely part of the course in Argentina, that ended up moving it to Madrid. Um, 
where river then one <laughs> so um but it's like a classic argentine story really there the way they run football is absolutely all over the place much like they run the country it's they change the format of the league once every three years something like that so like things like relegations based off a three-year average points so it's impossible to follow so what? i know um they've done it as well so that you you have a round of games where you play everyone once and they give the trophy out and then they have a completely separate tournament for the second round of games and there's a trophy for that as well so you what? can win so there's two title ones a year I've done that it's just absolutely mad um but yeah it's um it is pretty vicious when it comes to to fan rivalry i think south america argentina their football rivalries are above a cut above the rest of South America who are pretty keen pretty hot on it <laughs> I think that there's there's one in Santiago in Chile which is pretty hot as well um, so yeah for me it's like the quintessential city rivalry football so um, okay so that's my nomination so following on from, from that uh, can I chuck in Dinamo Zagreb v Red Star Belgrade <laughs> talking of I'm not sure quintessential is right is quite the right word for this, but um, I'm talking about in particular uh, the football match that started a war. Are you, are you, are you aware of this or even the notion I, I of thought, it? I thought I I'm not, but because I remember when Red Star Belgrade won the what was the European Cup, the Champions League. European Cup. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'm obviously also aware that Zagreb and Belgrade are different countries now. So I thought that's why yeah. it might be going. <laughs> so, um, so the, the, the so thirteenth of May, nineteen ninety, um, at the Maximir Stadium in Zagreb, Croatia. Uh, there, it's 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 not even referred to really as a football match, more of a football riot. And to cut a very long story short. Um, there were um, obviously both parts of Yugoslavia at that time, and the um, the bad blue boys were the supporters of Dinamo Zagreb, and the Deleji were the supporters of Red Star Belgrade. Uh, it, the the that match, if you can call it that, took place just weeks after Croatia's first multi-party elections in almost fifty years, and the parties favouring Croatian independence had won a majority of votes for that. So things are starting to bubble up. Um, absolute carnage happens before the match and in the stadium. Um, about 3,000 Red Star fans had made the trip uh, to the stadium. There was lots of violence. Over 60 people were wounded. People were shot, stabbed, tear gas. Um, there were a around 20,000 um, supporters in the stadium. Uh, and apparently what, what sparked... The, the, the fighting within the stadium were some stones that were thrown by the bad, bad blue boys. Um, the uh, Deleji um, then began tearing up advertising plates and made their way to the Dinamo fans, attacked them with torn off seats. Uh, they all get on the pitch. The police come on. They've got armoured fans and water cannons. And, and one of the most notorious and, and, and famous... Um, Incidents. You remember Zvonovir Boban? Zvonovir Boban. Yeah. Brilliant. AC Milan. Player. I think player, he's yeah, yeah. yeah, I think he works at a very senior level for FIFA now. Um, he, he was playing. Um, and 
he played for Dynamo at the time. He kicks a policeman in the head <laughs> as part of this. <laughs> he was yeah. He was later banned for six months. He missed Italia ninety uh, because of that. I always used to wonder why Yugoslavia, with so many good players, were never good at international level. And then when they split up, uh, and it was only when they split up, and that each individual team was actually quite good that I realised ah, they weren't really playing as a team. Um, yeah. But this game, as I say, is sort of considered to be now the war didn't start for a few years after that. But people talk about that, the fact that people who were in the stadium on both sides ended up fighting in the war. Some of them for militia groups, um, and that was like a bit of a spark um, that, that that culminated in those Yugoslavian wars in in the nineties. So. I thought that deserved consideration. Yeah, I'd say so. I think one of the most under <laughs> understated uses of the word, it was bubbling under. <laughs> that sounds like a <laughs> bubbled over, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, that, um, I mean, that Yugoslavia team had, well, I mentioned Red, Red Star won the, the, the European Cup. Yeah. Um, they'd They'd lost some of their better players the year before that, one of whom, Stojkovic, was playing for Marseille mm. in that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, yeah, they had... And I think some of the Croatian players who became stars for Croatia, like uh, Proznetsky and I think Boban yes. was Croatian. Um, yeah, because you said he was playing for Zagreb, so that made sense. Yeah, um, yeah combined with... Uh, I mean the Yugoslavians who a lot of them played in Italy didn't they in the Serie A yeah. heydays because it's not that far and um, yeah I remember Panchev as well with being an unbelievable yeah. striker he he was I think he's Macedonian so like yeah it was mm-hmm. you can't even imagine that and exactly. the scenes whilst the scenes sound horrific and ridiculous in the stadium in 1990, that wasn't a million years from that happening in quite a lot of stadia all over Europe without the, uh, you know, football riots were much more common during the 80s. Yeah, I'd, yeah I'd say by 1990 that, that you'd passed the worst of it. Um, yeah. But I mean, yes, you're right. It was English clubs were still banned in 1990 when yeah. playing in Europe. So Yeah, rightly uh, so. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's that's a strong case. <laughs> what have you got? Uh, you got anything else? Yeah. Um, so I was going to raise the Red Sox Yankees. So the way American sports mm-hmm. divided up, which you touched on before, you're sort of putting the way they do it now. You're put into divisions of of five teams in most sports, and if you win your division, you make it through to the playoffs. Um, so you can be quite unlucky if you're you could be the second best team in your sport but if you're in the same division as the first best it's going to be a, a tough season and, and, and the Boston Red Sox and New York Yankees are in the same division um, and they uh, so Boston had um, were cursed do you know about this the curse of the Bambino yes so mm-hmm. sold Babe Ruth uh, to the Yankees a curse was placed on them for cashing in basically and that they and from that happening which I think was in the 20s they never won the World Series for the rest of the century and then in 2004 they were playing the Yankees in uh, so they were both able to get through because there's one wild card place and they were playing them in basically the sort of semi-final equivalent of the World Series the Yankees were three games up uh, no team had ever come from 3-1 down to win a series, let alone 3-0. And Boston 
came back to win it 4-3 to go through to the World Series final which they won 4-0 to take their first uh, and that was about the time I'd sort of started tracking baseball a bit I think I'd been to America and watched a, a game on TV and thought of because mm. I'm really into cricket I'd sort of tried you know look to the fielding and stuff like that and it was yeah that was kind of did make sort of reasonably big news for baseball over here and then the Yankees did what they normally did which was pick up all of Boston's best players after that and just bought the next probably two years of, of league so uh, but it is a really famous kind of really traditional rivalry going back hundreds of years um, I mean for a non-contact sport baseball's got quite a lot of fights in it as well which is quite quite good fun it always surprises me about yeah. American sport because they Americans I mean stereotype generalisation alert they love suing each other um, and so you would think fighting and you know violence within sport would have been settled in the law course way before now but no, no just just throw the ball at the batter and yeah, just part the whole of the bench game. is clear yeah yeah so uh, so yeah so for me that's probably the, the one that sticks in my head when it comes to, to American sport uh, okay Hmm. From you? So I have I have a, a, a well. This is probably for the this is definitely for the Dean Macy spot. This next one I want to throw in, um, which is British stroke Allied forces versus Germany, and um, two. Uh, this is a two parter. Nineteen fourteen, Christmas Day, football match <laughs> right. in no man's land. Um, now so. Uh, we don't have any, you know, accurate reports of what the score of this particular game was, but um, yeah, I think quite an intense rivalry. I think it's fair to say. Um, so to play um, a football match in those circumstances, apparently there were no red cards or anything, um, is quite is quite. Uh, I thought it was quite an achievement. And tackles in there, though. You would have, yeah, you would have thought so. And and second, and jumping forward to the, um, the Second World War, obviously the. Um, um, the famous match between the prisoners of war of the Allies and and um, and and the and the Germans with yeah of course yeah 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 with with yeah but some of the quality of the players you've got three World Cup winners who played in that match so you've got Pele, Ozzy Ardiles, Bobby Moore plus whoever was available from the Ipswich Town um, <laughs> team of that time, which happened to be John Walk and Russell, we can still win this boss, Osman, um, who I think, were, yeah. What? Were they not, was that, it was not, Ipswich were a very good team though at the time, weren't they? Was this their heyday or was this after their heyday? No, no, this is their heyday where they nearly won some stuff. Um but yeah, John Walk and Russell Osman playing alongside Pele and Ardilas and, and uh, um, people like that, obviously coming back from 4-0 down um, and, and just the commitment to, even though they could have escaped at half-time, come out and turn that match around, I think, deserves consideration um, for, for the Dean Macy spot, in my opinion. I mean, we've got, we have got a wrestler in the Dean Macy Hall of Fame, so arguably... Yeah as real a sport as Escape to Victory. <laughs> yes. Um, Anything else would you? Yeah, the, the only one I was going to... It, so, I do think a lot of rivalries have sort of um, got a bit more kind of... They've mellowed out quite a bit because, you know, there's not as much violence in sport as there used to be, which is obviously a good thing. And so... 
apart from Argentine football, I think that that some of these are um, have have mellowed quite a bit. So I think the most vicious and really antagonistic one now in in English football is AFC Wimbledon MK Dons. Yeah, nice. So, um, mm. so AFC Wimbledon don't acknowledge the existence of MK Dons as a football team. So when they came to their stadium, they didn't print their name on the program or the scoreboard, which I love the pettiness wow. of that. <laughs> yeah, that's Just right up your street. Absolutely sort of thing. brilliant. So yeah, that was. I thought that was worthy of a, a quick mention. But um, yeah, that, yeah that otherwise that that's it from me. Okay, so we have um, we've got the Ashes, we've got the uh, River Bocker Derby, we've got the uh, rivalry that started a war, we've got Red Sox Yankees, and we've got Milton Keynes, MK Dons, Wimbledon. Uh, I think we should. I think the Ashes, as we both named it, is it gold? Yeah, it's got to be gold. Yeah, yeah, um, that's gold. Um, and then where I they like started in, a war in the interest. Yeah, I, do, I do think that. Yeah. Is, we should, well, we, should, we, should, we don't want to see them react if they don't get on the podium, do we? So. <laughs> That's true. So they're in. I think, in the interest of diversifying the sports cover, that the Red Sox Yankees yeah. should be on the podium as well. Um, and then Britain's Rope Allied Forces. I, for, I, for I, I think so. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I just love the Escape to Victory reference. So straight <laughs> in there for me. I've okay. so long now. I might, I might have to seek that out watch it during the Easter holidays it'll definitely be yeah in. yeah yeah well yeah yes well good uh, yeah that's uh that's that's a good good range of things covered there I think so I think it is that's gold silver bronze Dean Macy for this edition so before we wrap up then um so we obviously did uh, team rivalries just now we are going to do a part two of this, which is uh, the top individual head-to-head sporting duels and rivalries. Catchy title for that one. Um, uh, uh, not in the next uh, pod, but the one after that. So if any listeners want to send in your um, uh, things to be considered for that, send them through to our email address, which, as we said earlier, is frankly who cares pod at gmail.com so we're looking for individual uh rivalries and head head to heads it could be an individual like a, a long-term rivalry it could be a specific occasion match uh, yeah. etc we're still after the uh ideal sporting days as well which we'll, we'll cover a bit next next time because when we yes set that challenge we didn't have an email address which makes it quite difficult for people to send anything in so who'd have thought? <laughs> so send both of those through to us and uh yeah but until then um see you soon we will see you on the next pod goodbye cheers <laughs>